We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now, people are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu from Blue Wire Podcasts. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode 863 of the Pack-A-Day podcast. My name is Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at AndyHermanNFL. And joining me today, it's been far too long. I'm so excited to be talking with him once again, is the one and only Ben Fennell. You can follow him on Twitter ben, at BenFennell underscore NFL. Ben, it is good to be talking to you again. How have you been? I've been great. It's uh, crazy. We're already here in December, uh, down to the twilight of this long 2020, but the Packers are sitting here at eight and three. We're through the midway point and uh, kind of peeking out on the playoffs, you know, just under a month away. So it's crazy. We're already at this point, but uh, the way 2020 is gone, I don't think we're uh, <laughs> we're uh, we're looking for this year to extend any further. No, I think everyone's ready for it to be done and to, to turn a new page, but at least we've had uh, a really nice Packers season to kind of keep us going through everything so far. Uh, I'm really excited to, to talk to you today. Usually when you and I have been talking, it's usually been, you know, Sunday nights, right following a game, and we haven't had the opportunity to kind of discuss 
the Packers season as a whole, what we're kind of seeing out on the field and, and on film. So really excited to pick your brain in regards to that today. I figure we can kind of start there and just kind of a, a season in review. I know it's not exactly like we're at the halfway point or anything, but it's a Friday and uh, we'll look ahead to the Eagles in just a moment. We'll look back at the Bears in just a moment as well. But I figure we could kind of kick things off with just a, a season in review. Let me just kind of start by asking you your kind of tweet length review of what you feel, you know, how you feel the season has gone so far for green Bay. Well, I feel like the stylistic change of Aaron Rodgers is really the biggest headline of this season revolving around this green Bay Packers team and their success that really isn't grabbing a lot of headlines. You know, we know Aaron Rodgers is an elite franchise quarterback, but I think his style change under the Matt LaFleur era and really accentuating that into his second year under Matt LaFleur It's really been refreshing to see, and it's everything I've been kind of tongue-in-cheek asking for over the last four or five years, and it's really exciting to watch, and I really feel like Sunday night was the culmination of the perfect game plan on both sides of the ball for not only Rodgers to be the Packers quarterback for the next five, six years, but for them to have a formula of being competitive and being a Super Bowl contender in 2020 or 2021 or whenever the next Super Bowl is going to be played. And, uh, you know, it's just a, it's, it's an exciting time in, uh, in Packer world. Yeah, it really is. And I think it's a really interesting point that you bring up because you and I have kind of said the same thing in different ways. I think you've kind of said, you know, you want more Aaron Rodgers in the pocket. And I know you're, you know, you've got a couple catchphrases in regards to that. Um, in, in a different way, I've kind of said something similar, just kind of saying, I, I enjoy the, you know, scrambling out of the pocket, Aaron Rodgers, but I want to see that when it's like desperation, when it, when you absolutely have to have it, maybe it's a, a third and long, maybe it's a fourth down late in the game. Maybe you're down by two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. To me, that's the time to ad lib and try to make some magic happen. I wanted to see him for the last few years, play within the offense, play within the system, at least in first and second downs. And uh, you know, kind of in your, your general flow of the game. And far too often, as you and I have both discussed in the past, it was more, you know, eyes dropping, trying to make plays off script and and not always playing within the flow of the offense. So I think we've kind of gone about saying it in slightly different ways, but kind of the same overarching thought process. And I'm with you. It's really interesting in the fact that this doesn't get a lot of discussion, not only from like the national media, but I don't feel like a lot of people even talk about it in, in the Packers media too much. I think there's this overall idea that Aaron Rodgers is just, you know, he's been an MVP since basically the time that he started up until today. And there were never really any minor bumps in the road. And I know Aaron tongue in cheek said, you know, his down seasons are most quarterbacks, uh, you know, best seasons and things like that. But um, I do think that he's playing at a, at a totally different level this year than he has over the course of the last three seasons. Yeah. And I think some of the worst of Aaron Rodgers that 2015, 16, the injury and 17, uh, you know, the run the table season, all those seasons started to lean towards using improvisational skills as the primary skill. And just like you said, I like when he escapes the pocket and scrambles when he needs to. But for a lot of those years, he was holding on to the ball and using those improvisational skills prematurely, in my opinion. Those should be second reaction skills used when needed. If the throw, the read, the progression is there as a pocket, you know, a pocket passing distributor, which is the quarterback's job, that's what you have to do. And that's kind of my, you know, Aaron Rodgers highlights are from the pocket or we can't grade the throws he doesn't make because at, at the end of every season, he's graded very highly from PFF. He has very few interceptions. There's reasons for that. And I think that the an analytical community and kind of grading Aaron Rodgers is a really interesting discussion on what are the throws he wasn't making. 
And those are really tough to grade because he wasn't throwing it. He wasn't creating interceptions. So metrically, statistically, he looked fine. But something was wrong with the offense, clearly. Uh, And I think the last two years, particularly 2020, has been a resurrection of him willing to play within structure, rhythm, timing of the offense, being a distributor, not needing to be the hero of the offense. And I think that's what I kind of tongue-in-cheek say. He's an elite game manager in 2020, and that's okay. He doesn't need to be the hero or the superstar or do anything outrageous to move the ball down the field or generate points. Run the system, run the offense, distribute the ball, get it in the hands of playmakers, keep your offense in good looks. And that's what game managers are all about. And I, I, I just want to tell everybody, you know who wants a game manager? Everybody. Mm-hmm. And I just think that has such a negative connotation around it. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the, the classic name that everyone always thinks of when they hear game manager is Trent Dilfer. You've got this <laughs> all-star defense. And- well, I worked closely with Greg McElroy, and he was always very, very defensive of anybody that called him the game manager who won a national championship with Alabama, never right. really viewed as an NFL quarterback. But we would always say to him, myself, Tom Luganville, my sideline analyst with ESPN, we'd say, Greg, that's not a negative. You know what coaches want a game manager? All of them. Stop viewing that as a negative connotation. I'm right there with you. And I don't think there's anything wrong about it at all. And especially when you uh, add the tagline on their elite game manager, because again, that, that's exactly what you want. And, and to an extent, it's really interesting because there's been a piece of that, that Aaron Rodgers has been forever. He has always been hesitant to throw, uh, you know, into dangerous situations. And he is very, you know, very conscious of the, of turnovers and throwing the football into bad spots. And he's always viewed that, that piece of the game management at a very high level. And it's always been super important to him. Uh, but now you can also see him kind of just taking it to a different level and just running the systems, taking the easy throws, not trying to do too much. And, uh, but again, having a couple of those ad lib plays when needed and, uh, and he's still being able to do that, which is, is like just the ultimate in, in exactly what you want out of the quarterback position. And last week, Andy, I think, you know, he had the four touchdowns and he looked like the hero at the end of every drive. And, you know, I'm sure lit up whatever fantasy teams he was on, but he only had 21 completions. It was only just over 200 passing yards. It was a very pedestrian participation from Aaron Rodgers. And I think that's okay. I think that's a great formula to yep. run the ball nearly 40 times to lean on the run game. And then Aaron Rodgers can finish him off in the red zone. I think that's a perfect balance offensively. Let him reap the rewards of nine, 10, 11 play drives. But the run game is really what dominated on Sunday night. Yeah, and that's what's been so fun to watch. And I think Matt LaFleur has done a tremendous job of really kind of coming at teams from all different angles. You never quite know if it's going to be the run, if it's the tight ends, if it's going to be a Devontae game. And it seems like he's got a really good pulse on how to attack specific defenses. We saw it in the first half against Indianapolis when they put up 28 points. We certainly saw it against Chicago. They went right at, um, you know, where Akeem Hicks was supposed to be and was obviously absent from that game. They ran up the middle with more effectiveness than I think they have uh, in a little while. So he always seems to have a plan and I, I just give a ton of credit to Matt LaFleur and what he's been able to do with his system and going against defenses as well. Yeah, certainly. He's done, he's done a, a great job on a week-to-week basis. And listen, Andy, I'm nervous for first-year, first-head coaches. So 2019, if the Packers didn't start off on a, on a hot foot or you know have a successful season, who knows what the narrative and the, the stigma around a new young head coach is. Literally, it could be a make-or-break season for him. So once he got over that hurdle, I think it gave him confidence. I think it gave the locker room confidence in him. And then in 2020, 
he put that, you know, that speedboat throttle all the way forward and said, full systems go with what I want to do. And after 2019, I think everybody was ready to buy in. I could not agree with you more. I, I don't think people realize just how huge a NFC championship run in a 13 and three or 14 and four season is for a rookie head coach. Mm-hmm. In or just look like Zach Taylor in Cincinnati went two yeah. and 14. It's like, he's not a bad coach, but it was a bad situation. Now people are trying to figure out, is he part of the problem or is he not? And there's just questions around him. And it's a dangerous kind of narrative around a young first year head coach. Well, and you know, does, does Aaron Rodgers buy in fully into the second season of Matt LaFleur if they go eight and eight, exactly, nine and seven yeah. a season ago And like Aaron Rodgers is, is seemingly bought in hook, line and sinker to what Matt LaFleur wants to do this season, which to me is, is one of the biggest differences between this season and last season. Last season always seemed to be a little bit of a, a Frankenstein version of what Rodgers liked to do in McCarthy's system and what Matt LaFleur ultimately wanted to do. And Hey Andy, if I was LaFleur, I'd probably do the same thing. A million I times. I got this veteran yep. Super Bowl winning quarterback. I don't want to ruffle him too much you know off the gate here let me make sure i'm marrying a lot of the things he likes from the previous regime i'm gonna work in some of my stuff that's the right way to go about it with a veteran quarterback I could not agree more. And I think that's a, just another thing that doesn't get the credit that it deserves is, is really bringing everyone from that McCarthy system to the LaFleur system with kind of slow baby steps along the way and really making sure that he just didn't cram a new system down Aaron Rodgers' throat that probably was never going to work, but he had the wherewithal. We've seen coaches fail in the past that just want things done their way. I remember, uh, what was it, Denver, when Peyton Manning came, they wanted to kind of fix the, you know, go with their system a little bit. And then, you know, finally they realized, you know what, maybe we should just let Peyton uh, run his stuff like those those can be very difficult things and I thought Matt LaFleur just did a tremendous job handling that yeah agreed Andy absolutely 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient which means every hire is critical indeed is here to help indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore. indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Term and conditions apply. So what has been your biggest surprise this season uh, as kind of this season has developed so far? Yeah, that's an interesting kind of open-ended question. And I think it's been, you know, taking turns on a week-to-week basis, whether it's, you know, been the, you know, the, the lack of consistency from the defense, particularly pass rush. And it's an opportunistic defense. They have to, you know, get the big plays and the turnovers. And they were kind of few and far between for the first half of the season. So, you know, defensively, there was certainly some individual fingers to point. There was some collective fingers to point. But I trust the system and I trust the process of the defense. And uh, we could talk philosophically and schematically about, you know, the pros and cons of it. But, you know, just every now and then the defense, you know, leaves you a little bit to be desired. But, you know, I kind of stay the course and trust the process with it. 
And then collectively, you know, I'm happy with the offense and their ability to win different style games, particularly the high scores that they were 0-4 last year. Anytime the opponent scored 25, they're now 3-3 and this year. You have to be able to contend with, the, you know, the, the Chiefs and the high scoring offenses of the NFL. Outside of the down-to-down the -down Sunday afternoons, a lot of it is just the, the management and the roster construction that I was a little bit disappointed about. So I don't want to go too much in a draft free agency offseason now that we're deep into 2020. But looking back at this, you know, calendar year as a whole, that's really kind of where my disappointment lies. And, you know, it's easy to play the, the hindsight 2020 game and say this is a contending team. What would have looked like if we took A, B and C instead of D, E and F? I don't really want to play that game, but to answer your question collectively, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of where my disappointments lie. So I think a lot of fans, uh, you know, agree with your, you know, with that sort of assessment and looking back, you know, obviously Jordan Love, AJ Dillon, Josiah DeGuara, who, who knows how much he would have been involved. But I think even in a best case world, Josiah DeGuara as a H back fullback with how well Bobby Tanyan or Tanyan and um, you know, I guess, Jay Sternberger is not playing the best, but he's still out there on the field. I don't know how much of an impact, uh, you know, Josiah would have had, uh, you know, I, I think there's a, an argument to be made that maybe they didn't get the most out of those, those top three picks. Mm -hmm. They did get uh, Kamal Martin, who's been out on the field a little bit. They did get John Runyon, who's provided good depth along the offensive line. But I think that's a fair, uh, you know, fair way to be disappointed. You know, for me, my, my biggest surprise is just one of the players I just named. Listen, I've been a, a big Robert Tunyon guy since the very first time I saw him out on the field. He made a play that I've talked about in the past, kind of streaking up the field um, as a kind of as a move tight end. Uh, it was the first day that I got to see um, Mercedes Lewis and Jimmy Graham in Green Bay. And you could tell Rodgers was excited too, because he was throwing to them all day long. It was like he got new toys. And then late in the day, uh, you know, big Bobby Tunyon makes a play. And I'm like, wow, just another play to Jimmy Graham. And no, it was, it was Tunyon up to seam. Um, and I've kind of been a fan since, but I've, I, I didn't expect this season coming out of Bobby Tunyon. I'm curious your thoughts on him. And then I've also feel, you know, feel like Darnell Savage is the game has slowed down for him over the course of the last month or so. I feel like he's playing with more confidence. The skills were always there. Um, I just think he kind of needed to um, fully understand the system and what was asked to him on a down by down basis. I feel like Adrian Amos and him have really played better over the course of the last month, but I'd be interested in your take on both of those two players. Yeah, you know, I think Savage, particularly the past couple of weeks, you know, putting him down in some of those robber roles and run blitzes and giving him a little bit more segmented assignments seemed like the game was a little fast for him. He was really thinking out there. Um, seemed like anything positive was happening closer to the line of scrimmage. So I like kind of crashing him into the second level, taking away in breakers, maybe being a blitzer or run blitzer, chasing plays down from the backside, two nice interceptions on Sunday night. And now it's all about stacking those performances, especially for young players. You have a good week, watch the film, correct the mistakes. Now let's stack it. And same thing with some of these other guys, whether it's Rashawn Gary or, uh, you know, even rookies like, you know, John Runyon Jr. and X, Y, and Z. You know, these young guys have to start stacking performances. And on the other side of the ball, Robert Tunyon, I did not expect this as well. Um, but the first thing that I see from him in 2020 is confidence. Yeah. This guy is, 
he looks like a player that's playing faster, playing much more confident, attacking the ball. He just seems to be trusting his ability and the way he's being used in the offense. He's not being asked to be a true wide tight end like Mercedes Lewis and a race defensive ends in the run game. He's really given a opportunistic role as that move tight end. You're given a lot of shots down the field, some yards after catch opportunities. And I think like ships in the night, he's kind of moved past Jay Sternberger as really that primary move tight end. I don't want to say he's moved into number two tight end category. I don't know who number one is Mercedes Lewis. It's a very strange tight end room as far as the pecking order goes. But if you're just evaluating the two move tight ends and Robert Tunyon and Jay Sternberger, I think Tunyon surpassed him easily, not only in his blocking and the perimeter stuff, but obviously the big plays down the field that we've all seen. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think he's done a really tremendous job. Kind of more the overall tight end. You know, Mercedes is going to be your your blocking tight end. They use Jason some of those move situations, but he's really struggled as a blocker. Um, and and Tunyon's kind of the one that they can rely on to at least be you know good in both, if not you know anywhere near the block. And just for for the the paint the full picture, I don't think Sternberger or Tunyon or can, are candidates to be the traditional wide tight end of the future. Yeah, I think they are what they are. I think they are athletic second move tight ends. Now, with that being said, I think they really need to address that true why Mercedes Lewis position moving forward. It's an important position in Matt LaFleur's offense, just like it is in Kyle Shanahan's offense. You need a tight end that has two-way disguise. Mercedes Lewis, the running joke is he's really just an offensive lineman. Well, I got news for you. That's an important position. And Mercedes Lewis, he's getting into the twilight. That's going to be an area they're going to have to replace moving forward. I think I know the answer to this, but uh, where do you see Josiah DeGuaro fitting in in the scheme of things? See, in my opinion, he's the H-back fullback of the future. So if everything's reflective of Kyle Shanahan's offense, we need to find our George Kittle of the future, who right now is being kind of uh, supplanted by a bunch of tight ends, particularly Mercedes Lewis in the run game and then Sternberger and Tunyon in the pass game. But I think Josiah DeGuara is the Kyle Juszczyk of the Niners offense, more of that fullback, but he has a lot more versatility than the traditional fullback of the William Hendersons and, you know, those types of fullbacks. So uh, that's why we like to call him the H-back role, which is really more of an athletic fullback. No, I like that a lot. All right, let's, Are you in agreement that he's more of that role than the uh, a a potential to be a tight end role? Yeah, a million percent. No, I absolutely agree. When I when I you know watched him in college after they drafted him, I watched him a little bit beforehand, but not a ton. Uh, I thought that he fit that that Kyle Uschak H back uh, position the best. I thought he could moonlight as a tight end from time to time, maybe play some slot from time to time. But I thought his his best his best overall position was going to be that H back role that also you know with also having some versatility to do a couple other things from time. Like six three two thirty five, like that Y tight end needs to be about six five two fifty five. You know, it's a it's a much different type of type of business down there in the trenches. And it, it's always tough too, because, you know, you talk about those Mercedes Lewis tight ends, you know, those are never the the sexy guys that people are evaluating in the draft. Everyone wants the guys who can do like the, what the Kylie Pitts, um, you know, can do and those sort of things. And But the Mercedes Lewis, they're, they're the motor oil of some of those offenses. There's the one that makes it go. He's not on anybody's fantasy team, but I promise you he's important during the week and in the film room and on game days. Well, and, and Rogers was just glowing about Mercedes Lewis this week. So those, those players have a ton of importance. And like you said, it's the motor oil that makes everything go. 
you alluded earlier to kind of the, the Mike Patton scheme. And, and, you know, I know, I think you were on our rival podcast, Ben, uh, defending Mike Patton a little bit, uh, just giving you a hard time. Cause I've certainly been with, uh, <laughs> with Peter on lockdown a couple of times as well. He's been on here. Um, actually one of the things I really love about kind of the, the Packers, uh, blogosphere, whatever you want to call it, is that everyone seems to be very, uh, willing to help one another out, which I love, but, um, it made me talk- nervous for a second. I was like, Oh no, are we really rivals? I know podcasts had rivals. No, not at all. We're, it's good. <laughs> uh, totally cool. Uh, let's talk about Mike Patton though. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts. Cause I know he's kind of public enemy one this season when it comes to Packer fans. Um, I'll be transparent. I haven't been super excited about what I've seen from a scheme standpoint. I kind of understand the overarching philosophy hasn't worked, but at the same token, he hasn't got the same, you know, level of play out of some of his horses, like maybe a Kenny Clark, Zedaria Smith, Preston Smith that he got a season ago. So what's your thoughts on the defense and Mike Patton as a whole? All right. So from an individual basis, I thought the precedent that Kenny Clark and Zedaria Smith Smith set last year were unrealistic expectations to maintain for this year. They're still both playing very good when they're healthy, uh, but the rate and the pace that they were playing last year is bonkers because they played out of their minds last year. Um, But collectively, the scheme, I like the scheme because we came from this era of Dom Capers with consistent and routine coverage busts and confusions and big plays over the tops. And now we're preventing the big plays. So all the fans that kind of have issues with Mike Pettin and the softness, there's pros and cons to every scheme. So just when Mike Pettin wants to be a little soft and keep it in front of you, you can get aggressive like he did on third down, cover zero blitz, blitzed everybody at Mitchell Trubisky, forced the ball out quickly, just missed Cole Komet down the middle. He looked like he had a step on Will Redmond. That was an aggressive approach on Sunday night. He only did that once. But that's a very risk-reward type of pressure. You know, those big plays, you're in man coverage. Everybody's on an island. The quarterback can hit big plays on those. So, you know, it's a real cat and mouse kind of pro and con with what you want your defensive coordinator to do in being maybe too aggressive. I love the formula of keeping it in front of you, prevent the big play. It's a big play business. You got to prevent them and you got to create them. And coming from the dumb capers error, Era, I'm okay with the soft, keep it in front of you, rally, make the tackle underneath, and hopefully lock down in the red zone because we've seen the other way. We've seen the aggressive approach, heavy blitz, confusion on the back end, and it doesn't always yield positive results. So I think the system and the general formula works. Now, will it work in December, January's playoffs against those elite teams? That's what's going to be under the microscope. Does it have the ability to? Absolutely. If it doesn't on a particular Sunday, am I not a believer of it then? No. And that's what I want to get fans out of. Just not be so emotional and dramatic about what you're seeing on every Sunday and kind of take a step back collectively and say, what is it doing well? What is it struggling in? And I think the pros are really outweighing the cons, especially from the era of defense we were in before this. I don't know if that kind of, there's a lot of thoughts there with the defense there, Andy, if that made sense. It, it definitely makes sense. I'm, I'm curious though. So would you say, um, would you say that the defense has had more positive games than negative games this year? I guess my question is if your thought process is, you know what, uh, you know, 
I guess, I mean, let me say that this way, if they've had more negative games and positive games, is, is it taking it a one week at a time or is, is there been enough negative games now defensively where they haven't played well enough where you have to say, you know what, there's been eight or nine of these or however many it's been, maybe it's five or six where now we have to kind of reevaluate things. Yeah. I mean, last year when the opponent scored 25 points, they were zero and four. This year, they're three and three, which sounds good that they're scoring points. But it's like, wait a minute, we've already allowed 25 points in six games and allowed right. four all last year. So something's not working collectively as well as it did last year. But if you look at the Super Bowl, Andy, who played corner for the Chiefs and the Niners in the Super Bowl? I mean, outside of Richard Sherman, I, mean, I don't think anybody knows. Yeah, I know Brashad Breland was one for the Chiefs. Right, yeah. And, uh, you know, and my philosophy on it has been, you know what? If you're allowing 30 points, go score 40. So I think the reflection and thought and aesthetic of the defense is really tied to the offense. And if the defense allows 40 and the offense scores 50, that's a win in my boat, Andy. And that's just the nature of 2020 NFL. And the Chiefs fans have the same issues. And, you know, last year, halfway through the season, they got beat on the road, you know, to, by a playoff team in the Tennessee Titans. They allowed 30 plus points. Their fan base said Spagnola needs to get fired. We can't win a Super Bowl with this defense. And they ran off nine straight wins and won the Super Bowl. And a lot of those wins in the Super Bowl, they had to come from behind. They allowed 21 unanswered points to the Texans and whatever they had to do in the playoffs. So, you know, when you look at other case studies around the league, other defenses are struggling as well. It's really tough to play defense in 2020 NFL. So I think it's very much tied to the narrative of the offense to say, if the offense is outscoring the opponent, it's okay. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player and coaching props bet online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You could get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins division and championship futures all day, every day, head to bet online online today and take advantage of all the great signup bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code blue wire at betonline.ag. That's blue wire. All one word bet online, your online sports book experts. So let me ask you this then, because I, I I actually agree with the philosophy and I actually like the philosophy as well. And I think the smartest thing to do is to not allow big plays and really make the opposing team earn it up and down the field, not make mistakes. And, and you know, the, the overall philosophy is that, you know, if you have to go 12 plays, 75 yards or whatever the case may be, at some point, you're going to have a holding penalty and offsides. You're going to throw a pick. You're going to fumble the ball. Well, the general nature, Andy, if we're an opportunistic defense, we want opportunities, right? So you go 10, 12, plays those are opportunities to make a big play or to get a stop so my question though is we've seen this defense give up I don't know how many you know 12 play 75 yard drives and not this year last year they were good at it this year they haven't been as good at holding and they were in the red zone and, and they've been allowing touchdowns on those drives 
And now, you know, your, your comments about, you know, well, the offense can still score more points than the defense, but now some of these drives are taking, you know, seven, eight, nine, nine minute drives from time to time, which is making Aaron Rodgers in the offense, not on the field, sometimes out of rhythm. I thought the Colts game in the second half was a really great example of that, where, you know, the, the, the Colts had the kneel down before half, then it's like, what, a 15, 20 minute halftime. Then they go on like a, a nine minute like eight or nine minute actual drive, which was probably like what another 20 minutes, like of real time, maybe more. Andy, there's nothing worse than fumbles on kickoffs. They're, they are killers because yeah. you were just on the field. You're receiving the ball. So you just allowed points and you're turning the ball over before the offense can even come back out. Honestly, that Darius Shepard fumble hurt me exponentially more than the fumble in overtime. Yeah, I would agree with that too. I think that's fair. But do you think, you know, with all, you know, the drives that they've been giving up and, and allowing and still allowing points and especially touchdowns, do they have to change it up and maybe be a little bit more aggressive so that, you know, even if giving them an opportunity, maybe more to make a play, but even if they give up a big play, at least they're not giving up, you know, eight minutes off the clock and the offense can get back on the field. Yeah, that's actually a really good point, Andy. And, uh, you know, I think Mike Patton kind of took a, took a page from that last week and not, you know, unleashing any of his three-man rushes and you know I said he only dialed up that cover zero all-out blitz once but you know just the fact that he wasn't relying on the soft pass brushes uh as much yeah you know being more aggressive and being the dictating attacking approach has a lot of pros and cons as well and you know if it's a uh damned if I do or damned if I don't if I make the play or give up the play but a play is going to be made uh, for better or worse, there are a lot of defensive coordinators that believe in that. And that's really how Baltimore plays. You know, they've allowed a lot of big plays over the top. They're a really good defense. They're an attacking defense. They blitz a lot. They give up some big plays, though, too. So I just want to tell all fans to kind of temper their expectations on the defense and to say, you know what? If they're doing A, we can go to B, but B isn't perfect either. Yeah. And, you know, it's really tough to play defense in the NFL. And if there was a perfect defense, if there was a defense that took away everything, everybody would play on on every down and offenses get paid a lot of money during the week to attack defenses and attack those vulnerabilities. So, you know, it's just kind of the nature of the game. And it's, uh, you know, as long as the offense, I think, outscores the defense and you end up with more points than the opponent, it's okay. Yeah, I'm with you there. And I think, again, I like the overarching philosophy. I wish that, you know, they were tackling a little bit better to make, you know, if you're keeping things in front of you, you know, make those five yard gains instead of 15 yard gains. I wish they were holding a little bit more in the red zone so that those seven point drives became three point drives. All of that becomes much more palatable at that point, but it'll be really interesting to see how kind of the rest of the season evolves and how they play on defense overall. Um, That kind of brings us to the million dollar question, Ben. Is Green Bay a legitimate Super Bowl contender? You know, and I saw that on your rundown, Andy, and I just have to think, how are they not a contender? Yeah. And when we, you know, sat here and we watched the undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers tack on another win yesterday, did anybody watch that Steelers game and see an undefeated team and think the Steelers team is a Super Bowl contender? You have to think with the, you know, the incumbent champion in mind, the Kansas City Chiefs, this Steelers team is tough. They're nasty. They're hoping to win a 17-13 game. I got news for you. You better be able to score 30 against the Chiefs in the playoffs. And I just don't see certain teams that are really good right now able to do that. The Packers, I think, can. 
And I keep pointing to the, their ability to score points this year. And that's really a, a major factor of being a contender to say, can you win the shootouts? Because there's some teams that love to play this wide open fast break offense and they're going to score 30, 40 in the drop of a hat and not really care about their defense. You better be ready to score 42 or 45 to beat them. So I think the Packers are able to do that. And that excites me. And that gives me confidence to say, no matter who walks in, uh, you know, to play the Packers, they can go toe to toe with anybody. I'm right there with you. I think that's a million percent the case. And I, the thing for me is if, if man, if, if I know, like you said, the, the expectations from last year were always going to be unattainable, but if Z and Preston and Clark and Gary and those guys can just take it like a notch higher uh, from what it's at right now and really start even putting more pressure on the quarterback. To me, they have a real formula for success because I like overall how the secondary is playing. Maybe not so much the linebackers at the moment, but I think that front can get there. I I love what the offense is doing. Aaron is playing great. I I think they have the formula. If they can just get a tad bit more from that pass rush, I think they have a real, real opportunity this year. Yeah, and Andy, you know who I think is playing really well, and I don't think it's showing up in the stat sheet just yet? I'm interested to hear. And that's Rashawn Gary. Yeah. I really think he's playing well in a down-to-down basis when he's on the field. It's just not registering yet in the stat sheet or, you know, on the highlights. And that's okay because I think his process is hitting the right stride and he's doing the right things on the field. And I just want to tell fans to have just a little more patience that I think he's doing the right things and the big plays are going to come. And I'm happy because I've seen fans start to turn that corner a little bit more recently, at least on Twitter, which isn't, wasn't, isn't always the healthiest. <laughs> He's place. bought himself some time. He's bought himself a little time this year with a couple of big plays. He has, he has. So I'm excited to see that turning around. Um, before we look back at Chicago and I want to go over your film review article, which is amazing every single week, any other, you know, kind of overarching thoughts on the season so far? No, not particularly. Um, you know, I think it's a really fun team to study on a week to week basis. And, uh, you know, they've had their, their injury hiccups like other teams in the league. I think they've been pretty good uh, as far as the injury bug, which is uh, great. And the COVID bug obviously is a major factor as well. Um, but if something happens, if there is a hiccup or something down the stretch, it's not an excuse. And I think this team is really well built. And I think he's Matt LaFleur is really preparing a lot of these young players and guys, uh, for lack of better words, behind the scenes to be ready, whether it's, you know, the John Runyons of the world or the young receivers or, um, you know, whoever they ask to step in at the drop of the hat. You know, I just love seeing some young guys step up and contribute maybe a little prematurely as well uh, and not looking like the moment was too big. No, I agree with you. And I think that can definitely be said about John Runyon as of late. Um, let's go over your film review article. Cause it's one of my favorite things to read every week. If, uh, those of you listening, aren't checking it out, it is over at the athletic, uh, is it what Ben Fennel's film room or I forget the exact title of it. It might just be Fennel. Yeah. Fennel film. Fennel there film. we go. Love it. So, uh, what were your kind of takeaways from this, this last week's game against the bears? Well, I would definitely want to highlight the, uh, the offensive approach and that, you know, Aaron Rodgers seemed to dominate with his four touchdown passes, but it was a rather pedestrian game with only 21 completions, just over 200 yards passing. The run game really carried them nearly 40 carries, 182 yards, 14 first downs. And then when Rodgers had to make a play, he did, you know, six of seven passing on third down four or five in the red zone, you know, three touchdowns off play action. And, you know, you watch him go shake Trubisky's hand at the end of the game. His jersey is spanking clean. His vibrant white, his pants barely a blemish. 
This guy's only been hit 16 times this year, Andy. And eight of those were in one game against Tampa Bay. This offensive line's done a great job, but Aaron has done a great job in playing within structure and timing of the offense. You get the ball out of your hands, you keep yourself clean. You keep the offensive line happy, and you get that ball into the hands of the playmaker. So it's just great to see you know, him, his willingness to kind of be that game manager. And it's not a negative connotation as people like to take it. And I thought this game really was an elite game managing performance. And I like to highlight that. And, you know, they scored a lot of points and they're efficient scoring points this year. They've outscored the chiefs just narrowly for the best mark as far as points per game, but their ability to generate touchdowns on drives and just scoring on drives, both in the top five, as far as uh, efficiency. So uh, offensively really impressive week uh, to kind of study and hopefully they could keep that going moving forward. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the offensive line to me. And I, I think you can make a strong argument for the difference in Aaron Rodgers this season too. But for me, the, the biggest difference that I've seen this year from last year to this year with just the offensive performance has been the play of the offensive line. And you just hit the nail on the head, only 16 hits for Aaron Rodgers all season long. They've been still opening holes in the running game. I feel like David Bakhtiari is playing some of the best football of his career. I feel like and just for Lewis- perspective, because people don't really know what 16 hits means. Carson Wentz leads the NFL with 64 hits, <laughs> four, four times as many as Aaron Rodgers. Just a couple more. Yeah, I feel like uh, but Bakhtiari and Lindsley are playing some of the best football of their career. Of course, Elton's playing well. Um, Lucas Patrick, I think, has been uh, way above my expectations. And even Billy Turner, who still has his ups and downs, has still uh, exceeded my expectations for what I thought he could be at right tackle. Uh, and, and just all the depth that they've had as well. Um, I've been so impressed with this offensive line. In fact, I thought, um, I thought their first... I don't know, maybe half, maybe a little bit less than that. When, when Corey was still on the game against the bears, I thought that was some of the best offensive line play that I've seen from this team um, in the four years that I've been, you know, really breaking down the film of the offensive line. So um, I, I don't know what your thoughts are, but I, I just, I love what the offensive line is doing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's great to see running, you know, sliding there at left guard Elton, obviously his ability to play up and down the offensive line has been crucial, but that right side, you hit it right on the head, Lucas Patrick, uh, Billy Turner, both have blown me away. Uh, I'd imagine you're in that same boat, just yep. being really impressed with their play. I mean, Billy Turner had to take on Khalil Mack one-on-one a couple of times. It didn't always go pretty, but Khalil Mack didn't ruin the game, which he is very capable of doing. So he's been able to handle some of those assignments and get his job done. And Lucas Patrick is a guy they might look to replace that right guard spot next year and keep Lucas Patrick on the team. He's just one of those guys that is versatile. He's a pro he's experienced and he can really play, uh, you know, any of those three interior O-line positions when he needs to. And I think having those versatile players is just, it's just great to have in your offensive line room. John Runyon particularly played tackle at Michigan. Seems like he's uh, pretty comfortable at guard at the next level. I'm really interested in your thoughts on Elton Jenkins because I, I love Elton. I think he's a fantastic football player and his ability to play five legitimate positions along the offensive line and do them well is beyond crazy. At the same token, I feel like some people feel like he's already this, you know, maybe pro bowl to all pro level, you know, caliber player. And personally, I just don't see that yet. I think he's really good. I'm not sure he's great yet. I think people may think he's great. I'm curious, just your general thoughts on Elton Jenkins. Well, I think what he's done in his two years is really impressive to have literally played all five offensive line positions in under two years in the NFL is very impressive. He played four spots at Mississippi state. He knew he was going to be athletic, versatile, 
He's a B plus across the board. And you have to remember some of the guards across the NFL. You have Quentin Nelson's, you have Brandon Brooks of the world and Marcia Yanda's. And there's some mauling, you know, guards around the league that are brute strong and people movers and nasty. I think Elton has a really good uh, balance, a, a balanced skill set that I think he's good in the power game and getting vertical displacement. He's good laterally in the zone game. He's a good enough pass protector. He's a good enough in the screen game, but I don't know if he's an a in any of those categories, but being a B B plus in every one, it makes it look pretty good on a week to week basis. And I think that's a great trajectory. He still needs to get a little bit stronger, still needs to finish a little bit better. There's still a lot to work on. Is he quite the caliber of a Quentin Nelson or a, you know, a Brandon Brooks in Philadelphia who unfortunately has hurt this season? No, and nowhere close, but that's okay. He's only in his second year and he's on a really good path, I think, to becoming an elite Pro Bowl uh, offensive guard in the NFL or maybe even a right tackle or maybe even a center, uh, you know, in a couple of years. Yeah, and I agree with everything you just said, and it wasn't meant to be a hit on Elton Jenkins. Um, in fact, quite the contrary. I, like I said, I think he's a really great football player. Um, just think that you know might need a couple more things to really get to that next level. But I think it also brings up a, a, an interesting discussion of you know if you could have you know maybe maybe this is a little bit ridiculous asking a you know Quentin Nelson over Elton Jenkins sort of question. But if you could have a, an A player who's stuck at one position or a B plus player that can play five different positions uh, all across the line and be at least a B or B plus at all of them. I'm not so sure I wouldn't take the, the B B plus player who can play a thousand percent, thousand percent. I just had a great talk today on the uh, journey to the draft podcast through the Philadelphia Eagles. We're just talking about running backs and do you want a running back? That's a B across the board as far as pass pro pass game zone runner, power runner, or do you want an A in one of those categories? But that just means they're limited in the other areas. So I could find you a Derrick Henry that really only excels in the power run game, but he's not going to do much for you in the pass game or in zone blocking. So, you know, it's a really interesting conversation on if you only have so many marbles to put in all the different traits, do you want to load them up in one or do you want to kind of distribute them and make them nice and balanced? And you talk to different evaluators, different scouts, different coaches, different position coaches, different coordinators, you're going to get different answers from everybody. Yeah, that's what makes football so fun. It's no question figuring out how you want to, you know, maneuver those Madden sliders when you're making your create a player and uh, creating your team in Madden, I guess. But uh, great job on the film uh, review article, as always, one of my go to articles every single week. Absolutely love looking at it. Uh, let's take a look uh, ahead to the Philadelphia Eagles. I know you have uh, some familiarity with the Eagles, and I want to just start by going over Carson once. I know that's kind of the, the popular topic, not only for this game, but kind of a, a, along the lines of all NFL conversation right now. But what is wrong with Carson Wentz and this Eagles offense? Uh, <laughs> you got ideas? <laughs> um, I have some. I don't know that they're right. He's been a really – this whole offense and this team has been a really tough study uh, this year from injuries, personnel, personnel usage, uh, play calling, distribution of run pass. It's all been bad this year. And it's really tough to point to a single thing um, right off the bat. I mean, you lose an all pro right guard. You don't, you, you don't become better. You know, you lose your starting left tackle. You don't get better. Um, so there's some injury aspects to it that really set them back. But the play calling and the overall confidence and execution has just been night and day from this season to the Super Bowl season. And people are trying to figure out what that is. And 
if that success was tied to offensive coordinator Frank Reich and John D. Filippo, the quarterback coach, who then left after the Super Bowl, if they were the ones that really made the offense tick, or if Carson Wentz is broken, which I don't think he is. I think he's obviously not seeing the field great. He's obviously lacking confidence. He's obviously trying to do too much. And I don't think the the play calling and the positions they're putting this offense and team um, are really helping that. But there's a lot of problems, Andy, and it's one problem is affecting another problem is affecting another problem. And it's kind of trickling at this point. So there's a lot of things to point to. And you could literally take it game by game, position by position, play call by play call. It's literally that convoluted. Uh, it's a, It's been a tough year in Philadelphia. It reminded me a little bit of kind of the end of the Mike McCarthy era with Rodgers falling off a little bit, not to the extent that Carson Wentz has, uh, but then, you know, just some some parallels there. Certainly. I think so. Um, And I, I, I agree with you to an extent on Carson Wentz. I do believe he's broken, but I agree with you that I don't think he's unequivocally broken. I think he's very fixable still, but uh, he just, he just doesn't seem right right now. You just don't see the confidence, the footwork, the mechanics, like all of it's just a degree off. And like I said, I think all of it's fixable, but they're almost in no man's land right now where (laughs) Doug Peterson might be fighting for his job, which seems crazy, even though he just won a Super Bowl. Um, They're still in the playoff race, which shouldn't be happening right now. So they're like still trying to win football games because they're still in this, but it feels like this is a time where you just need to kind of hit the reset button and maybe give Carson some time off just to think through things. But then you've got another rookie quarterback that you don't just want to necessarily throw to the wolves without all those weapons and offensive linemen that you just mentioned. It's just, they there's, just seem there's so many parallels too between these teams because, you know, they took Jalen Hurts in the second round and people are wondering why I take a quarterback when you have a franchise quarterback similar to Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers. And they, uh, neither team has seemed to want to, you know, add receivers to the, to the room over the past couple of years. And it's a lot of interesting parallels between these teams, but it should give Eagles nation confidence to see what the Packers have done. Because just like you said, it feels like that Mike McCarthy end of his era where Aaron Rodgers really seemed broken and mechanics looked bad. And it was pulling teeth to move the ball down the field on, on a drive to drive basis. Something was wrong. And it's just refreshing to see this veteran, I don't say aging quarterback, but yeah, you know, he's an older quarterback, literally change his style, his philosophy with a new young head coach and everybody's excited again and they're winning games and they're confident. And that should be a silver lining to Philadelphia to say they can fix this. And Carson Wentz is younger and has probably more upside and ability, you know, with his career, just being younger, they can turn this around. And just to have a little patience and to say, you know what, we can fix this. Look at what happened in Green Bay. They were ready to move on from Aaron Rodgers. It looked broken two years ago, three years ago. They fixed it. And I just think you get the right people in the right spots. And you trust, you know, the guys that you paid, like Carson Wentz. Um, I think it should give them confidence to say, you know what, this year is obviously a, a weird kind of crapshoot year, even though they are in playoff contention somehow. Um but it should give them, you know, kind of a, a silver lining to say, you know what, we can turn this around. I think you're right. On the flip side, that defense is actually playing pretty darn well. I know uh, Darius Slay got a helping of DK Metcalf this last game, uh, which is never easy, but he's still one of the better corners in the league. Their front four is legit, although we don't know if Fletcher Cox is going to play. He's been uh, out injured in practice the last couple of days. Uh, but I, I really like overall a lot of the talent that they have on defense. Yeah, absolutely. I think it would surprise people to know that they have the second most sacks in the NFL, third best sack rate, fourth best pressure rate. It's a defensive line 
saw a handful, Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, Malik Jackson, Derek Barnett. Those four are a terror. And then you get Josh Sweat off the bench, who seems like he produces every time he's on the field. They have a very good defensive front. Still figuring out the, you know, the next age of the linebackers. Is it TJ Edwards or Nate Gary? Or where do we get Davion Taylor, uh, who's a third-round pick? Another parallel to the Packers in that third-round pick that they're not getting contributions from. Just like we're not getting contributions from our one, two, or three. They're not getting it from their two or three and barely from their one in Jalen Rieger. Um, but I think it would surprise people that how well they're rushing the passer and how dominant they are up front. A lot of the attention is obviously going to the offense and just how much this offense is putting defenses in bad positions. They lead the NFL with drives beginning in opponent territory. So what does that mean? That means your offense is either turning the ball over or your special teams unit is allowing a big return, which these days is usually the former. Uh, your offense putting them in bad positions. That's something that Green Bay is doing a great job in never putting their defense in a bad spot. That's something this Eagles defense has been plagued with week in and week out. So it's really tough to evaluate them when they're constantly being put in, you know, tough positions and short fields and, you know, obviously a complimentative offense and not doing their part in, you know, able to score 20 points the last three games 17 loss to the Giants 17 loss to the Browns 17 loss to the Seahawks you know so we have to be able to score at least 20 25 points because this defense isn't playing so bad and it's it's it makes it harder too when your offense isn't putting up points and you feel like you have to be perfect on every play and if you give up a a score or a touchdown it just feels like it just seems like it's accentuated you know like when you only can score 17 you allow one big play on defense and it's like ah geez we're done now yeah, it's like when you're the one hitter on the team that can uh, hit in baseball and no one else is hitting around you and you feel like you have to go all... A lot of pressure on that one guy. Exactly, exactly. I uh, feel like the Packers get a win in this one? I do. Um, obviously, looking at that game last year that the Packers lost, that was one of those four games where they allowed 25 points. Eagles ran the hell out of the ball on first down. I think it was 20 carries for over 100 yards. You run the ball like that on first down, the whole playbook is open and everything clicked from them, from the screen game and the play action pass. Um, and you look at, you know, uh, a couple of days ago in Seahawks, they ran four times on first down for like 15 yards. So their philosophical approach, I think, is a little bit uh, off right now. I think they need to get back to the run game, take some pressure off of Carson Wentz, try to maybe get some gadget plays and runs in Jalen Hurts and some creativity into the offense. But at the end of the day, Carson Wentz cannot be dropping back 40, 50 times in order to win. It seems crazy to think, and I would have never thought uh, a few years ago that I'd be saying this statement, but do you just play Carson Wentz the same way that you just played Mitch Trubisky? Yeah, there's probably probably a lot of truth to that. Yeah, it seems absolutely crazy to say. Uh, ben, I can't let you go before I pick your brain on some NFL draft stuff because you're one of the best that does it. Oh, draft. Let's go. Yeah, I know. And, and as you say, it's it's always draft season. So uh, I don't know, maybe just give us a couple names or two, three names that you're just really enamored with right now and uh, why you're enamored with them. A couple names I'm enamored with right now. All right. So I, I love these, these gadget running backs around college football. So the guys that are able to really catch the ball well out of the backfield, but they're essentially running backs on paper. UCLA has this kid, Demetric Felton. He was a four-star receiver now out of this kind of backfield pass catching mold 
really interesting, explosive player. There's a couple other guys around college football like that. Kenneth Gainwell at Memphis, Tyler Beatty at Missouri. I love these gadget types uh, around college football. The tight end group. Obviously, we know, you know, Kyle Pitts, Brevin Jordan at Miami, Pitts at Florida. But there's a really interesting group of guys in kind of the mid-round that I think are still sorting their way through. I love guys like Kenny Yaboa, the Temple transfer down at Ole Miss, Hunter Long at Boston College, Tommy Tremble at Notre Dame. These are guys that block really well. Jake Ferguson at Wisconsin is a guy I could see the Packers being interested in as well. Really deep receiver group again. The tackles, man, I've seen anywhere from – 10, 12, 13, 14 different tackles projected in mock drafts over the last month or so. It's a deep, deep tackle class. I know Packers fans are saying it was a deep tackle class last year. We lost our right tackle. What did we do in a calendar year? We signed Rick Wagner. That was it. So I could definitely see the Packers looking to address the future of that right tackle position, maybe sliding Billy Turner back in there to right guard. And then the linebacker position, another position I think the Packers could look to address in the mid rounds. It's kind of a hybridy position that I think you should address every year on day three, just always getting new young talent in there. And you never know when you're going to hit, uh, you know, maybe a Curtis Bolton of the world on day three or an undrafted player, Tony Fields at West Virginia, Antoine Simmons at Michigan state, Grant Stewart at Houston, three really explosive athletic linebackers that are making a lot of plays for their teams. I could do this all day with the Andy. If you steer me towards a position, it's uh, maybe be a little easier. <laughs> no, I, I mean, that's great stuff. When you talked about uh, Felton from UCLA, it kind of sounded like I haven't watched him yet. It's like, it's not, it kind of sounds like an Antonio Gibson type of player. Am I wrong in that? Yeah. Gibson was a little bit thicker. Gibson was one like six, two, two thirty. Felton's much more of a five, 10, 195 pound type of body, much more explosive. Gibson, I think had the ability to still be kind of a, a between the tackles runner for Memphis and now the Washington football team Felton definitely a little bit more of the primarily third down type of undersized scat back role. No, that makes sense. Well, we'll get into a ton more draft stuff as uh, I'm sure January, February, March, April uh, roll around and we'll, we'll definitely uh, get your pick your brain on that a whole heck of a lot more. I have one more question. Uh, at least I do. And if, if you have anything, we can go over that as well, but um, I'm interested in your thoughts on this as well. Bruce Arians is getting a ton of crap right now because he's not using motion in his offense. Um, we are starting to see the offenses that are using motion more regularly have the most success around the league. Is it getting to the point where if you're not using motion on offense that you're just behind the eight ball and it's time for a change? Well, there's a lot of case studies right now to point to, to say it's successful and particularly in green Bay. I love the use of motion motion, particularly in the run game. And I think it's doing wonders. I absolutely love it. But it's different strokes for different folks, Andy. And every scheme, offensive and defense, has pros and cons. So just to paint the full picture and saying, well, everyone's using motion. Why aren't you using motion? Well, there's reasons for it. So older school quarterbacks like maybe the Peyton Mannings of the world, for a long time, they didn't like motion. Because when you're moving the picture on offense, you're moving the picture on defense, which to a quarterback clouds their picture and their assessment of what the coverage is or what they're looking at. I've also heard offensive linemen not love motion for the same reason that we have a static picture of our blocking assignment. If we're moving the offense, traditionally the defense then moves. That means our assignments changed, which you're then reacting on the fly. So there's a lot of cons to it as well. If you get behind in games, motion takes time. 
So if you're trying to do any sort of hurry up or anything like that, traditionally, you don't do motion because all that pre-snap action takes more time. There's a lot of cons to point to. There's offensive coordinators that want to use that player in route combinations. That player traditionally in motion doesn't have the ability to be used in an intermediate or deep route combination and really can't be used in any route combination because he's working horizontally or laterally. We have seen some jets now turning into takeoffs and wheels up the field, uh, but that's uh, that's for another day. But um, just to tell fans, you know what? Not every scheme is for everybody. There's pros and cons to everything. So while one coach may have success with it and like it, there's coaches that may say, you know, it's not for me. So I know Bruce Arians hasn't been using it. Brady hasn't traditionally been a fan of it. And that's okay. You can still win games and move the ball down the field without it. Um, Personally, I like it. I see more advantages to it, particularly in the run game. Like I had mentioned, I think I, wrote an article during the Packers bye week, literally just focusing on what motion has done for the Packers run game. And that, you know, it, you force defenders to think at the end of the day, it's just kind of the human nature of it. You know, you force them to read, react, potentially hesitate. Then you hesitate and you can leverage a block and or make a blocking assignment easier. Or maybe you hesitate and you create an alley or a seal or, um, I like the motion and what it's done for the Packers offense in particular, obviously, uh, you know, San Francisco and Los Angeles Rams have used it quite a bit, but there's teams that don't for whatever reasons and Tampa Bay, whether it's because of Tom or Bruce or whatever other reason, just want to tell fans, you know what, they don't have to use it to be successful. There's pros and cons to it. Well said. That's why you're one of the best, Ben. I appreciate it as always. Uh, Anything else you wanted to go over today? No, not particularly, Andy. Do uh, you have any big holiday plans coming up at the end of the month here? I don't. It's going to be uh, pretty casual, just the family, uh, you know, kind of sticking together here. The boys are loving the the Christmas tree and all that sort of stuff. So it's just fun to kind of see them in the spirit. They're at great ages at uh, six, almost seven years old, and then, you know, three and a half. So uh, they're at really fun ages for it. So just kind of enjoying that aspect right now. What about uh, That's you? fantastic. Yeah, three, six, seven. That's right in the heart of it there as uh, yep. Christmas spirit goes. Starting to get a little chill in the air. Have you guys gotten any flurries out there yet? A little, but nothing that it stuck for a little bit, but went away pretty quick. So nothing that's on the ground right now. Gotcha. Yeah. I don't really have anything else on my agenda. I appreciate you kind of uh, hyping up the film room that I do each week at the athletic comes out Wednesday mornings. Uh, I'm just really looking forward to uh, my worlds colliding this weekend with the Eagles and Packers. Always a little interesting. The fact that I grew up a Packers fan. I now work for the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, you know, now that football is my career, you kind of have to, you know, uh, put the fandom to bed, but I will always be passionate about the Packers and, uh, you know, uh, we'll always have a place in my heart. Well, you can cheer for Richard Rogers, the former Packer turned Eagle. He's got a little best of both worlds. So you can be a big Richard Rogers fan this week. Absolutely. And it, and the Eagles have been a great organization. I've worked there for six years. We've won a Super Bowl. I got a ring. I was in the parade. Uh, Jeffrey Lurie's an incredible owner, runs a great organization. Uh, it's really been a pleasure to work there considering, you know, I worked two years with Chip Kelly, four years with Doug Peterson. Uh, the last four years have been really, really a uh, special time in my life. Yeah, I can imagine. And it, it, that's what makes this, you know, semi collapse by the Eagles so surprising to me because I've been such a fan of just what they've done as an organization, especially over the course of the last four years, just seems like for the most part, their moves had, you know, been turning out and, and coming up aces for a while. And um, obviously just a, a little bit of a cold spell right now, it's but crazy I how been, fast it can happen too. And I don't think a lot of people notice, like we lost some major parts. We obviously have injuries, 
I mean, Malcolm Jenkins played a thousand snaps for the last six years. Yeah. Nigel Bradham played a thousand snaps the last five years. They're both gone. Those are two veteran, reliable players that never left the field, were always available, smart, tough. It's tough to replace those guys. And, you know, there's little situations like that around the team that, yeah, they're kind of rebuilding, as weird as that is with a team that just won the Super Bowl three years ago. But uh, I hope they kind of, you know, get out of this kind of dark times. And for all you know, they squeeze into the dance, get into the playoffs, and maybe could uh, could be a team to, uh, you know, ruffle some feathers. Never know. All you got to do is get in the dance and you never know what could happen. Exactly. And now more teams than ever are getting in. So you just never know what's going to happen. So Ben, great stuff as always. I appreciate you greatly. Uh, We'll do this again, hopefully in a couple of weeks. Appreciate you coming on. Uh, Enjoy your holidays. Uh, But for everyone listening, thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure to follow Ben on Twitter at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL, but until next time. And as always go pack, go. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.